0: Hello and welcome into Hockey Mountain High, your go-to avalanche podcast presented by Superbook Sports. J.J. Jerez here, Arif Dean here to discuss the Game 6 victory that we saw from the Colorado Avalanche, Arif. I say it that way, right, with a little inflection in my voice, like surprise, because we finally saw the Colorado Avalanche team. I feel like we've been waiting for this entire series and it's like, what took you guys so long? But um, no, good game out of the guys and a good victory to force game seven
1: there in Seattle. Absolutely. They they were just so they played their game to a T. It was an absolute clinic of a defensive effort. And did did you also feel like there was zero stress or panic? Because that's that's how it felt to me.
0: Yeah, I mean, I, I guess if you go back to game five and going into the locker room after that loss, there wasn't any panic then either, right? And you, it's like you guys are up against it, like maybe it's time to start freaking out a little bit. And I feel like I misread that as like, all right, maybe they're not as disappointed as I think they are about maybe ending the season, but no, that was just that even keel,
1: cool calm and collected, time to turn it on attitude that you felt to through do that throughout the team. Yeah, so something I did last week when you and I podcasted, I think it was after it was either after game 2 or game 5. I compared this to Actually, it was after Game 5. I compared this to the Vegas series in 2021. Mm-hmm. The Avalanche won Game 1. Vegas started to figure them out in Game 2. The Avalanche still won in overtime. And then you saw the series flip on a dime. The Avalanche could not get it back. Vegas won Game 3. Game 4 brought it back to Ball Arena. Won Game 5. There wasn't a single person in that building, if you remember, that when they were leaving, we were like, yeah, this isn't coming back for 7. It's absolutely not. Mm-hmm. And obviously, it didn't. I think Vegas scored three, uh, 6 goals in that game, even the uh, dreadful Sam Jordan, Ryan grave series, but I compared it to that series. The difference is, and I know this is going to sound silly, but it really is a real thing. It's something that analytics and stats can't track, which I love tracking analytics and stats. I'm a very analytical person and you know, everybody knows that by now, but they have a winning pedigree. Now it doesn't stress them out because if you think about last year, like they lost game five to St. Louis. It went back to St. Louis for game six. There was a little bit of stress there, but they grinded it out and JT Comfort had two big goals. And then obviously like they had, they, they were trailing and, Dar- and uh, JT Comfort had to put him back in the game twice. And then Darren Helms sco- scored the game winner. That was like the first bit of an ease to them that game changed a lot with their mindset the brain not the skill the talent or what they could do on the ice but in their mind that changed a lot because nathan mckinnon has talked about it we didn't even need nathan mckinnon to talk about it to notice that when they lost game five of the stanley cup final first thing that came to their brain was that st louis series we've done this before we could do it again and what they do they did it again they went to tampa bay they won it in six this time around they had that same mindset but they had it with we're not winning game six to just end the series early. We're winning game six to keep ourselves alive and bring it back home for game seven. And the way they won the game is the biggest thing for me. They didn't grind it out and struggle and, and have to fight back and, and scratch and claw in a game where Seattle was out playing them. And you're like, eh, I don't feel too confident about game seven. They did it in such a dominant worthy the avalanche way, and we're going to step on your throats and shut you down that, Going into game seven, I don't know about the fans. Obviously, being a fan is is, is tough to, to watch a game seven or think about the idea of a game seven. But not a single person in that locker room is stressed about tomorrow. They weren't stressed when they were down three to two. And they're sure as hell not stressed now heading into a game seven.
0: It's just it was peculiar to me because watching that game, it, they're doing a lot of the exact same things. Just it, instead of of what we saw in games one through five, it was actually going right. The execution was happening. They were winning battles out of the corner. And I'm in my head sitting, okay, what do you change to fix a four check aside from simple effort and checking? And I still don't know the answer to that, but apparently Jared Bednar kind of figured that out. And it seems like however he did it, whether it's motivational or a strategic tweak, they figured out how to win those battles a little bit. So I think just simply seeing that gives me hope that it's not going to be more of the same for Game 7 because, A, we know how Game 7s are historically for Colorado Avalanche, and, B, (laughs) we know how playing at home for some reason has been a challenge for them this season and throughout this series. So I I definitely have hope. Um, I definitely don't think it's going to be an easy one. They're going to have to dig and and win those battles in the corner and fight extra hard because we know what Seattle has to bring. But there's, there's a lot more faith in me now than there was, I'd say, 24 hours ago.
1: Yeah, one hundred percent. I really, genuinely thought the series was going to end in six, and not to be a Debbie Downer, I think you and I do a good job of being very positive on this podcast. Uh, and it's hard, and it's it's hard not to be. I mean, you and I started this podcast the season that the Avs signed Burakovsky, Kadri, and Doncic. Well, acquired them and Nichushkin. Like, it's been a really good team since we started this podcast. But yesterday, it just felt like it was the end of the season. I don't know why, but. The way they played coming out on the first shift, they weathered a couple-minute storm of Seattle. And here's my favorite part. They finally score the first goal. It gets waved off, and two, three minutes later, Seattle scores the first goal. And you looked at that bench, and not a single person's head was down. Nobody was upset. And that's the part that struck me most, because I texted you as soon as as soon as soon Seattle scored to make it one nothing. When Vince Dunn scored, I texted you and said, LOL, dead. Like, they're done. But then they came out the very next shift as if like, yeah, we're trailing one, nothing on the road, on the brink of elimination. And yeah, we're fine. And then Miko Rantanen scores the big goal in the final minute. And the rest is history. They win four to one. Like it was just such a, such a good performance from a team that knows what it means to win. Now they know what it means to, they know what it means to, to play their game, to find their game and to do it well. And as much as we thought game five would be that, okay, enough is enough. We got to figure this shit out. Apparently it needed to be the brink of elimination for the first time since 2021 to really be like, okay, we're, we're going to do this. We're, we're not, we're not letting this happen again. So that's the, that's the big thing that I took away from that game was again, it's not just that they won, it's how they won, how they played and how Georgiev, despite him being good throughout the series. And I know he's let in some tough goals here and there, but he's really bailed out the avalanche and has been like weathering storm after storm. He was not necessary in game six. He didn't need to be his best. He made one big save when it was three to one late. And even then if Seattle scores three to two, big deal. He made one big save when it was three to one. The Avs add the empty netter. He had the easiest night you can have and only let in one goal. And that's because of how good the team played in front of him for once in six games.
0: He's been amazing with how resilient he is, right? I mean, the, the Avalanche have been giving up the first goal in every single game so far this series, and you think, oh, no, maybe here's the time where we see Alexander Georgiev have a tough night, and then he shuts the door. He might have a, an ugly first period, and then his second and third period are are phenomenal, and we've seen that over and over again, along with the team, right? You need the team in front of you to help you with the defensive side of the puck, but um, no, I think Alexander Georgiev has quietly been this team's most consistent player. I don't want to say best, but the most consistent guy, he's, he's really brought an identical game every
1: night, it feels. And they need him to be because this team, you know, we've said it before, and, and let's state the obvious. It's not last year's team. They're not going to win a Stanley Cup with an 890-something goalie that can only see from one eye. Like, that's absolutely not going to happen this year. Uh, they're not even going to win a first round with a goalie performance like that. And again, no disrespect to Kemper. I know what he was dealing with, but... They've needed Georgiev to be the guy he is. They're going to need him in game seven. And, and it's, it's going to be a big one. It's going to be a lot of fun, honestly, because again, I'm not going to pretend. I know how our listeners are feeling, but heading into a game seven after having won the Stanley cup, it feels so much more comforting for this team to say they can do this because if last year, let's let's again, let's go back to last year, second round. If St. Louis went to game seven, You feeling confident? I'm not. Because the Avs had a 3-1 to series lead. Nathan McKinnon scores the sickest goal, finishes the hat trick. They blow it. Tyler Bozak scores in overtime. You go back to St. Louis. They win. You come back here. The Avs still can't close out a series in the second round. They are going into another Game 7 in the second round for the third time in four years, and you're thinking, oh, boy. But they ended it in St. Louis in six games. They won the Cup. Now they're going back to that demon that is A game seven the other demon that they've had and i know i like i wrote the article today if you saw it about the the history of avalanches game sevens i didn't go way way deep into the 90s but i just went the most previous six seven game series that they've had where they lost in 2020 in 2019 in 2014 in 2003 and in 2002 the last time they won a game seven was the second round of 2002 and a lot of people mentioned the obvious like Well, how could you compare the 2003 Avs to 2023? It's a different generation, different team, of course. And that's not the purpose of the article. But the reality is Nathan McKinnon has played three game sevens. He has lost every single one by one goal. Nathan McKinnon just started his 10th year in the NHL. That's not a good look. It's not a good record. And yes, I know the 2014 avalanche are not the 2023 avalanche, but the 2019 and 2020 avs sure as hell have a, same, a lot of the same guys, the same coach, the same feel, the same fan base as it did in 2019 and 2020. So, But, but just ahead.
0: like you're saying, though, if everything feels different, right? I mean, even though the series right now, 3-3 and Seattle has some confidence that they know how to beat the avalanche, it still feels like the favor is in or I guess the, the Colorado still the favorites, right? Everybody. It's Colorado, thinks, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it's Colorado
1: it, series to lose. And why is that? It's because they won last year and they get it. It's yeah. such a silly thing to say, but they get it. Look at the Tampa Bay lightning. They're trailing three to two to the Toronto Maple Leafs. And they got the Leafs on brink of elimination somehow, even though they need two games <laughs> because the Leafs are exercising their demons of being Owen 11 in their last 11 closeout potential games, and the Tampa Bay Lightning are like, eh, we've done this before, we'll do it again.
0: Yeah, it's like, if you're Seattle right now, it's a lot like, you know, those games in the regular season when you're like, oh my goodness, I can't believe the Avalanche got it to overtime today. Let's let's just hope that they don't get scored on here in overtime and can maybe get it to the shootout because they've been outplayed. I feel like that's the way you are, you're feeling if you're Seattle. Not that you got outplayed, but you're like, oh man, let's just they, hope that they can... You know, weather this storm and not let everything collapse on them because you have a very dangerous team in front of you and that mindset is 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 big right i mean i'm not saying that seattle kraken doesn't have an experienced mindset but i'm almost wondering if they were going into that game six like oh we know how to beat the avalanche let's just do what we've always done and everything's going to work out for us just great and they forget that there's a team on the other side with other plans right so um yeah, I guess just I, I think it's in the Avalanche favor. I mean, even the sportsbook have the Avalanche at a minus 210 right now on the money line. So despite what we've seen this whole series, it still seems like right now the Avalanche have full control of winning this thing.
1: Yeah. And, and the reality is, look, the. Aside from the mental mindset, like we're not going to sit there and pretend it was just like, oh, yeah, we've won before. We'll win again. They made the necessary changes and those changes paid off, starting with the forward lines. I loved the idea of Jared Bedner saying, Look, spreading the wealth and trying to match the Kraken line for line ain't going to work. It's not. Because even if you have Miko Rantanen playing with Comfer and Nieto, uh, Miko Rantanen is the best player on that second line. And even if you include Seattle's second line, of the six players playing on both teams' second line, Miko Rantanen's the best one. But then the next three might belong to Seattle before you go back to Comfer and Nieto. So he said, Fuck it. Let's stack the line. He went back to Lekanen with McKinnon and Miko, And how freaking good was Arturi Lekanen yesterday? That was the 2022 Arturi Lekkinen, the one that was just resilient, uh, tenacious, just like a stubborn four checker. He was everything you want. He was in Grubauer's crease all night long. Late in the third period, he falls over Grubauer in a play that even Eddie Olczyk, when they were looking at the rebound, was like, Yeah, he had the possibility, he had the potential of escaping that, and he still chose to kind of make that contact because Lekanen's being the pest he knows he could be. Grubauer's helmet came off. He's sitting there taking swipes at Lekanen. That's a forward that knows how to get under somebody's skin. That's that Joe Pavelski in the crease back in the day, Ryan Smith, even Holmstrom for the Red Wings. Like he's he's perfecting that before our very eyes. In deciding games in a game six where Grubauer, who's had a relatively even keeled series, let's call it not a hot and cold series. He got in his grill. He frustrated him to the point where Gruby's taken shots. When did we ever see Gruby taking shots at players? Binnington skated halfway across the ice and Gruby just looked at him and smirked yeah, Yesterday, I mean, that's that Ruby was frustrating. that's what you that's what worked
0: for him, right? I mean, liking in what's his skill set is getting around the net and making some noise. And maybe in the first couple games, he wasn't feeling quite himself working his way back from injury still because you didn't see that traffic in front of the net. You didn't see any threat to rebounds when Philip Grubauer would let him up. But then in game six, you saw them get back to that. You saw them take the eyes away. You saw guys not afraid to go straight to the front of the net and start tipping pucks. So um, that's avalanche hockey right there, right? I mean, you even look at Arturi Lekkinen's two goals. And I I know the last one was an empty net, but Devontae's Kale McCarr, and then Kale McCarr, Taves, on the assists on his two goals. Right? I mean, defensive guys chipped in big time last night. Again, Avalanche hockey—it just looked like the team were used to seeing where they they're they're playing the type of offense that they've been working on all year, and didn't let their opponent get them get them away from that. Right? I mean, six defensive points last night, and don't forget Bowen Byram's goal that got called back. So the 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 defense was active yesterday, and I think that's just when the Avalanche are doing their best defense active and guys not afraid to go to the front of the net.
1: Yeah. The, the line with Myers and, and Malgin on it, I saw them being pesky and, and, you know, getting in the, getting in the tough areas, Andrew Cogliano back at center with uh, O'Connor. They were doing their thing. Obviously Cogliano took that hit, but Jared says he's feeling good, which who the hell knows what that mean at this point, because Cogliano is an indestructible dude that just seems to keep coming back for more. <laughs> and I don't know how he does it, but, The second line, Lars Eller at center with JT Comfort and Evan Rodriguez on the wing. There is still a lot more to be desired offensively from Mr. Eller. And I kind of hyped it up (laughs) podcast after podcast after podcast. And I'm kind of hoping like what Darren Helm did against St. Louis. You see that from Lars Eller tomorrow to basically say, I'm here. I'm a veteran. I've done this before. Let's win this thing in seven and I'm going to do it to show you guys, because Darren Helm came in as a fourth liner and said, hey, I've won these before. I know what this is like. And scored that goal with four seconds left. And you just need that little bit of a veteran mindset to do it. But despite the fact that he's not pitching in offensively like that, uh, that line was really good. I love, I can't stress enough how much I love what we're seeing from Evan Rodriguez. This is a guy that last year in the playoffs wasn't that good. And didn't make a lot of money this summer because teams didn't pay him what he thought he was going to get because of that. Going into this year, he knew he was going to have a bigger chance after Gabriel Landeskog was basically done for the year. And he's taken full advantage of it. He's playing rough. He's playing physical. For our longtime Avalanche listeners, think TJ Galliardi in 2010. This dude came out of nowhere, had an exceptional series, and then kind of fell off the grace of the earth. I don't think that's going to happen with Rodriguez because he's already proven in years past that he's a producer and he's good at this. So him playing with Confer and Eller has been awesome because that's a little bit of an offensive touch with two guys that have yet to score. And they didn't score yesterday, but I can see them scoring a big pesky goal here or there, like I'm talking about, a Lars Eller kind kind of goal or JT even. And it would be huge for the Avs because before Eric Johnson scored, and, and that's a funny sentence, Eric Johnson scored its first goal in 11 months. Before Eric Johnson scored, the only eight players to score for the Avalanche were their top six. So Lekkinen, McKinnon, Rantanen, Comfer playing with Nichushkin and Rodriguez. Those six guys and your top two defensemen of Taves and McCarr. Here's an easier way to say it. Before Eric Johnson scored, the bottom two lines and the bottom two defensive pairs had zero goals, and that's not good against the Kraken team that has had 14 of 19 skaters score a goal already.
0: Are you calling your shot, Lars Eller goal? You know you're. I'm get calling my shot. I'm that.
1: calling my shot, Lars Eller goal. But <laughs> what I'm trying to say is like. Again, the offense, there's more to be desired, but I really liked what Eller was doing with Comfort and with Rodriguez. That line seemed to gel. It worked. And despite how depressing it is to say it, after Nachushkin goes down, Eller's the next best thing to add to the top six. It's not Malgin, It's not Nieto. And it's not number 18 because he's not playing too well right now. In fact, he's playing terrible. But it's Lars Eller.
0: Yeah, I'd be interested to see what kind of momentum they carry. Right, I, I know Jared Benar took this time to to mention how there's no momentum in playoffs from game to game, but yeah. th- there's going to have to be for Colorado in order to play good. Because, like you're saying, we actually saw a decent game out of the out of the depth guys, and we've been talking for years now about how important that is to the Avalanche's success. For so, in order for that to work again in Game Seven, they're going to have to bring that same energy and carry that momentum, which apparently doesn't exist.
1: Yeah, exactly. I mean, the biggest thing for me is like the momentum doesn't exist, but the, the understanding that we finally played our game in game six does again, like game six was so different from the first five. And in those first five, the avalanche won two, and they lost another one in overtime, you know, in a two to two game, they lost it in overtime off a power play goal for the other team. So like they were right there in the first five games and won two of them, almost three, despite not playing that well for a lot of it. What we saw in game six was a completely different thing. So if you're the Kraken, it's like, you know, if the Avalanche squeezed out a victory in game six, like they did in game two, for example, you're still feeling good. But it's the fact that they played the way they did, where you're like, yeah, momentum doesn't carry over. But the belief in the Avalanche that like, oh yeah, we finally figured out how to play our game against this team. It only took us six games. That's got to be a little worrying. I'm with you. I'm with you. I, I guess I got to see it in
0: action first, right? Yes, they might yeah. have figured something out, but there's always a chance Seattle wakes up and
1: just shuts it right back yes. down. Here's here is the biggest thing that I want to mention is, is yesterday. So in games one through five, the ones that Seattle was winning and even game two included because game three, the Avalanche were the better team. Like that's the reality. They were leading six, three Seattle scored a late power play goal. But for most of that game, the Avs dominated. But even in that game, they always made mistakes. They let Seattle get back into it in 19 seconds. Oleksiak and then Veneers. In game one, turnover Devon Taves. In game two, they, they, uh, they had to be down two to nothing at the first intermission before tying it up and getting the Devon Taves uh, regulation winner with seven minutes left. Every single game, Seattle was playing well and Colorado was making mistakes. In game six, Seattle didn't lose the game. Colorado won it. And what I'm trying to explain here is think back to the game. If you're a listener, think back. Were there a lot of moments in game six where Seattle was making boneheaded mistakes? Where you can look at one player on Seattle and say, God, he's losing us this game, like we were saying about an injured Josh Manson who probably shouldn't have been playing given his injury status and explains why he looks so terrible in the playoffs was there a Devon Taves boneheaded turnover, which by the way, Taves was incredible in game six. There wasn't any of that. Seattle still played their game, but Colorado was better. That's the difference between this, between the first five games and game six. But in the end, hockey's a game of bounces. Things change on a dime. Momentum doesn't carry over. The Avalanche could play their best. The Kraken could play their best. But Grubauer makes one or two more saves. Suddenly it's, one-to-one instead of three-to-one, you're in overtime. All it takes is a coin flip, a power play maybe, a fortunate bounce. You win the game, you're the Kraken, you escape Ballerina with a game seven victory. So I'm not by any means guaranteeing an avalanche victory. I am guaranteeing a Lars Eller goal, but that's a different <laughs> story. I'm not by any means guaranteeing an avalanche victory. But Seattle didn't lose game six. The avalanche won it. And all that says to me is if the Avs play their game for the second time in this series they will win easily for the second time in this series obviously game six being the other example well with the glass half empty
0: what i'm also hearing is that seattle has been able to maintain a consistent game and play a good game throughout this series the avalanche have only been able to do it once so you know
1: well, he, he, do, that with,
0: do with that what you will. Yeah,
1: here's another way to look at it. Let's fill the cup back up to three quarters. <laughs> the Avalanche were consistently, annoyingly inconsistent for five games and then figured it out in game six. So if it dips back down in game seven, then we could be like, all right, the inconsistent ass couldn't figure it out. <laughs> it's not like they were unbelievable in game four and then five and six were trash. They were unbelievable in game six. And all they got to do is carry that over for one more game. And then the slate is back to zero zero. It's another team. It's a different color Jersey and it's the Dallas stars, but you got to get there. You got to win game seven. You can't do what the Kraken did because I genuinely believe what you said earlier is correct. Dave Haxtell never won a playoff series in the NHL. A lot of those guys have Stanley cups, but the team as a whole, as a core, as a group has not done it. Jordan Eberle with the Islanders was very confident going into a, you know, serious clinching game. Jordan Eberle in Seattle, where he doesn't really know a lot of the guys outside of playing with them the last two years, not the same. You haven't been in that playoff battle with them. The Avalanche took something from 2020 to 2021 and took 2021 to 2022 with McKinnon, with and with Landeskog, with Kadri, with Berkey, with all those guys that played together, McCarr, Taves. The Kraken don't have that. They went into game six, like you said, with this feeling of like, all we got to do is play the same game and we're gonna win, without thinking like Colorado's gonna come at us hard. And Colorado did, and Seattle still played well, but Seattle, but Colorado just outclassed them, is the best way to put it. So going into game seven, the ads just need to not have that same mentality. Don't go in there thinking we can just do the same thing we did and win. Go in there knowing you need to elevate your game because the avalanche is ceiling is a lot higher than seattle's so get closer to that seal ceiling and you'll keep the other team behind and just hope you don't run into a hot goalie
0: i like your uh, your visualization exercise with the listeners close your eyes <laughs> close your <and> eyes remember
1: <laughs> and think about philip
0: Grubauer. let's try it again i want you all to look at yourself in the mirror tell yourself i'm good enough i'm smart enough and gosh darn it people like me and this is the year that i'm winning money from vegas because, of hey. course, baseball is back and the push for the postseason is on for hockey and for hoops. Make it all count this spring with Superbook Sports. Superbook Sports is the best wagering app around with a direct line to experienced bookmakers behind the counter in Las Vegas. <laughs> oh, shoot. Plus, get a $250 bonus when you sign up, deposit, and wager in the same day. Don't let spring pass you by without winning money with Superbook Sports. Visit superbook.com for terms and conditions, gambling problem. Call 1-800-522-4700. That was going so well until I coughed. Blew it. I blew it. Um, a conversation I wanted to have next, Arif, is let's let's zero in on Miko Rantanen. I've seen a different version of Miko Rantanen these last couple games. I've seen almost a fusion of Miko Rantanen and Gabriel Landeskog into the same person. What do you think about that? I mean not only from a leadership standpoint but I think on ice you see him getting into these scraps that maybe he doesn't necessarily <laughs> deserve to be in or should be in but he he's he's trying. He's st- trying to step up, he's trying to bring some physicality, he's trying mm-hmm. to stick up for his teammates and they know that there's a void there and Miko Rantanen, you know, he's almost Gabe Landeskog's I don't know how to say, it. I don't want to call him mini me cause he's huge. Um, but you know, it's <laughs> bigger little, than Gabe. It's his little uh, apprentice almost, so to speak. Yeah. Um, so I, I want to just shine some light on what we've seen from Miko Ranton in these
1: last couple nights. Okay. So close your eyes. No. Uh, think <laughs> back. <laughs> Remember we were in the press box during the regular season. And there was that day I, I pulled up the video of Gabe Landeskog getting into it with Milan Lucic. And Lucic did his thing where he grabbed Gabe and he shook him a little bit, pretty much made Gabe look like his little bitch. And Landeskog kept the gloves on and said, nope, I'm not doing this. This guy's going to kick my ass. But the reason why Gabe was in that situation was because he plays the game you're explaining Miko did. Now think back to yesterday. Miko Rantanen, who never gets into that kind of stuff? Well, he does, but like in a general sense, it's Usually not with his the refs. thing. Usually, <laughs> with the refs, he was going to fight five of them this year. But think of past playoff runs. He doesn't get into a lot of that. Yesterday, he decides to initiate with a behemoth named Will Borgan. Even his name sounds like he's a cyclops. And what did he do? Will Borgan, as- the destroyer, <laughs> literally. <laughs> That was good. Um, what did he do as, as soon as Will Borgen turned back around? He dropped to his knees and said, "I'm, I'm, I'm noping the fuck out. Like this is not happening." What you are explaining, and and I'm gonna credit my brother for that one. and said nope, said nope the fuck out, and he just nope the fuck out. That's what he did. Um, so Rantan, what you were explaining, he did exactly that. He's been doing exactly that, and that's what they need. He's realized it. You got no ninety one. You got no 92, but 96 is a bigger number, and so is the dude's body that wears that jersey or something like that. He was a big guy, he's bigger than Kadri and Gabe. He knows he needs to play with a little bit of that because you don't want to see McKinnon play with that. McKinnon's better when he stays away from that stuff. You know, he can get involved in it here and there, but you know, McKinnon tried to fight Dumbo once and almost broke his freaking hand and made us all have a heart attack in a season where the Avalanche were primed for a long run and eventually won the cup. So seeing Miko step up like that is awesome. The other guy that's sticking up like that, I already mentioned it. Number nine, Evan Rodriguez. He's getting it to everybody's grill. He's getting his ass kicked out there. Miko's (laughs) a big dude. What is number nine? But this is playoff hockey. You got to find a way to do it. And these guys are finding a way to do it. What we're seeing from Miko Rantanen, and despite him becoming the world's most talented enforcer out there, or, you know, pest he is tied with Leon Drysaddle for the most playoff goals in a series where we feel like the Avalanche can't score goals. Miko Rantanen leads the NHL with six goals in six games. Granted, Dreisaitl's only played five games, but still.
0: It took him a right. couple games to get there, too. So, yeah. I mean, just goes to show what he's done the last couple games to really elevate yeah.
1: his game. He scored two goals in each of games three and four. He scored one in the opener. He scored one in game six. He's had a goal in five of the six games of this series. Four of the six, Jesus.
0: You know, Evan (laughs) Rodriguez wants it though, right? I mean, he got bounced out of the first round last year. He's supposed to be the piece to fill some voids this year. And if they were to get bounced out of the first round again, I think he would
1: feel that a lot personally. So he also um, knows that like, look, last year, like I said, he started the playoffs on the fourth line with Teddy Bluger. And I forget who else in Pittsburgh he got a chance to play in the top six this year. And he knows unless he wants to take a discount, he's probably not coming back here unless he ends up in another situation where it's September and he doesn't have a contract. But I think, you know, you learn from that the first time and you take the big deal the next time, Uh, you know, hint, hint, nudge, nudge, Mr. Uh, John Klingberg, who just ended a season with Minnesota. Same thing. You don't want to be that player two years in a row that has to take a one year deal because you fibbed on a longer term deal. So, He knows he's probably not going to be back, but he also looks at the roster. He says exactly what you and I are saying. He says, well, all those players are thinking, but nobody wants to say it because they're competitors. The 2023 avalanche are struggling. They got injuries. They got adversity. Their captain hasn't played in the Chushkin situation is now going on, uh, but they're going to come back stronger in 2024. And he's thinking, I'm not going to be here in 2024. Let's make the most out of this and see what we can, what we can do. Maybe a miracle run.
0: Indeed. Indeed. We'll see how that goes. Um, I guess as far as things we wanted to talk about from yesterday, that's about all of it. But there's still some news about Valentushkin that we've yet to discuss on the podcast. Um, you know, I know everybody's well informed and everybody's pretty much as informed as we are. So yeah, I know that we're not gonna shed any light and educate anybody on the situation, but I know there's some things you wanted to say about
1: it. Yeah, I mean the the obviously the news is out there now now that the police reports have been uh, have been shared with media. Um It's always fascinating that like when you dig into these things and you, you know, this is, I'm not gonna pretend I have like history of doing this kind of stuff, but like you do the journalistic things, you investigate, you reach out to the police department, to the file department, you get these documents and you're like, I got this big thing and you post it. And you know, I may have been either the second or third person to post it, but like 17 reporters that cover this team, people at people at news stations that are rarely in that press box we're doing the same digging and it's just fascinating to see how everybody's out for the same information. And at that point, the Seattle police department's like, all right, we know what's going on here. It's the Colorado avalanche, a bunch of people from Denver. The information was released. And honestly, it gives you a little bit of clarity, but it also gives you more questions than answers. There's was a lot of things. If you haven't seen it yet, you know, check out my for my article, uh, Kyle Fredrickson at the Colorado Gazette did something that I didn't do, which I thought was very smart. He actually shared the police report for full transparency so that you guys can read what I read and what the other reporters read before writing our articles about it. So, uh, Kyle Fredrickson's a good, a good place to go find his account and scroll and find that picture of the, uh, the PDF document that we all received. And, it's, it's troubling. There's a lot of questions about it. It doesn't really give any clarity. The Avalanche are not doing their best job of, you know, s- stepping up and, and stepping ahead of this. And especially after these questions, like my least favorite thing about yesterday, and obviously I was not in Seattle. And I wish I was because of this Natrushkin thing is the Avalanche are facing adversity. They're down three to two. So they're defending Stanley Cup championship run. They're playing a Kraken expansion team in their second season in the NHL, um, full of a bunch of second and third liners that are ultimately going to embarrass you if they beat you in the first round, especially in six. the way that the series has gone with the Avs leading two to one. And Nichushkin's not playing because of that. And then Josh Manson is hurt. And Kale McCarr is coming back from his suspension. And all of this crap is going on. And Jared Bednar has to stand in front of media And rightfully so media is asking these questions because they absolutely should be asking these questions. And Jared's deflecting. He's, he's like a ping pong paddle, just hitting it back. You asking a question and I'm just going to wave it away. Where is Val? Doesn't say, are you? Yeah. Just ping pong. Just knocking it right back. Where is Val? Doesn't say, do you expect him back? Doesn't say, is there a timeline? Doesn't say just, yeah, just constantly hit Forrest Gump in it right back into the ping pong table. And He's not the guy that should be doing that. And obviously he was briefed. None of us are stupid enough to think that Jared was doing that on his own before going up there. He was briefed by PR this These are the questions that are going to come at you. And these are how you're going to answer them. And he was probably briefed about that last Saturday when the actual situation happened about a week ago right now. So it is unfortunate that that's ultimately what's happening because as soon as this information became public, the best, most easiest thing that the avalanche could have done was release a statement. No further comment at this time. However, you don't even have to give full details, just acknowledge the situation and give us a little bit more of a clarity of why Nichushkin is not here. Is it something that's going to end up in a legal issue for him? Because there are some things in that document that sound a little scary. Is it disciplinary? Did he break a team rule? Because again, There are assumptions you can make from reading that document that say maybe he broke a team rule, but there's a reason why we're all making these predictions about it being legal or about it being related to an intoxication. It's because we don't know because they won't get ahead of it and just give a little bit of a clarity. And Jared Bednar has to stand there with his team down three to two on the road in a rowdy climate pledge arena and ping pong paddle hit those questions right back at the media without answering them. And and they're dropping the ball and I think that the best way to to get anything out of the avalanche at this point is to have you write like a 17 page long tweet about how they're just dropping the ball. Should I get at him? <laughs> Let's get it. Let's do another thread JJ.
0: Listen up Mr. Sackic. And Chris, I know he if reads That's my, really your real name. I know he reads my tweets, but no um today during the hockey show Ryan you know, because Ryan Bolding, a former member of Avalanche PR, had a lot of great insight. And um, that's kind of the way we steered the conversation, right? I, I kind of bre- uh, opened it with the exact same statement saying, There's no info we're going to share here that's going to educate you, but there's a lot of, uh, I guess, behind the scenes stuff that you need to know. So I would suggest finding that podcast. Uh, if you want to fast forward to about the 30 minute mark, that's where that conversation begins. And Ryan Bolding says a lot of interesting things that I, I necessarily didn't know. For example, the way the Avalanche are designed versus other NHL teams is that funnel of information has to lead all through Jared. When you are the head coach of the Colorado Avalanche, you are essentially the spokesman for anything that goes on. You're not yeah. going to talk to assistants. You're not going to talk to anybody else. Yeah. Um, so it yeah, it sucks for Jared Bednar because you could tell he's getting frustrated with it. He doesn't want to talk about it anymore. He's like, guys, please stop asking me. I'm not going to tell you. And of course, the journalists are saying we're going to keep asking because we want more information. And like you're saying, it's all leading to just more people, people to speculate and come up with their own crazy theories. I know I have one of my own. I know I, I have like I have four. I've talked to several people that have crazy different ones of their own, and it would just be so much more helpful if they just come out and tell us at least a little bit of something. And, and I understand the privacy that Valnachushkin has deserved here. I get it. Yeah. Um, but at least and, and I I and I would also understand if they come out and say, look, we just didn't want to create more distraction during playoffs when we're trying to focus on winning. Maybe they come out during the off season and tell us a little bit more,
1: but I'm not I'm not holding my breath about it. Neither am I. Abs- absolutely not, neither am I. The the big problem that I have with this entire thing is by thinking you're not causing a distraction, you're causing an even bigger distraction. And Val Nachushkin deserves his privacy with this. Sure. Cause I know a lot of people are really upset that we're digging into this. But on the other hand, there's a lot of people sitting there saying there's no real reporters in Denver anymore. Cause nobody asks the hard questions. And it's like, all right, so which one is it? Cause now we're teeter tottering here. Do you want the hard questions or not? Should we do it? Should we not? And it's like, I don't understand what 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 the general public wants at this point. but obviously it's just both sides of the spectrum right now. But the biggest thing for me is, look, does Val deserve his privacy? Yeah, sure. Of course. At the same time, he's a public figure. So what level of privacy does he deserve? But there is a level of clarity the team can provide without impeding on that privacy. There is.
0: How much do you want to bet that over the summer we find a, an article written in Russian bingo that explains a lot more about what's actually going on.
1: Yeah. Because.
0: Happens every a, time.
1: Yeah. And I have a theory and I'm not going to share any of them on here because it would be silly, but I have a theory that makes me believe if the avalanche win game seven, we might see Nichushkin and nobody get your hopes up. This is just me and my stupid brain. Please do not get your hopes up. We could see him skating at Family Sports, I don't know, Tuesday. If they have Monday off, practice Tuesday, and Game 1 versus Dallas is Wednesday, assuming they win Sunday. We could see him at Family Sports on Tuesday. And we all know Val doesn't talk to media. And even if they trot him out there, he's not going to say shit. And Bednar's not going to say shit. He's just going to say Val's back from his personal reasons. And the theory that I have in my mind leads to that outcome. But I'm not stupid. I know you guys aren't stupid. Obviously, talking to our listeners, close your eyes.
0: Oh, like, I thought you were talking to me. I was going to say.
1: And you're like, I don't know. I'm a little stupid here. <laughs> um, But I know you guys aren't stupid. People also have theories that say, has Gabe, has Gabe, has well, him too, but has Val Nachushkin played his last game with the Avalanche. But you see what's happening. There is a theory where he could be skating in 72 hours in Denver There's a theory where we're never going to see him again. And that speculation starts on this side and goes all the way to this side because all the team needs to do is just give a little clarity. Here's why he's gone and he'll be back on X date or he'll be back in general because what was my favorite question and answer from the Gabe Landis God press conference? Not overall thoughts, (laughs) not, no, not that one, (laughs) not that this one makes a difference. But it was the question of, do you feel like you're ever going to play again? And Gabe said, absolutely. Yes. No, he said, yes. Am I going to play another game? Yes. No doubt about it in my mind. Yes, yes, yes. And he kept saying that. That was enough clarity for people's minds. Gabe Landeskog didn't fumble the question. He didn't. We'll see it. He didn't even do that thing where like he said yes and it sounds like he's lying. To him, obviously he's not a doctor, but to him, there's still something in his brain that says, yeah, we're going to get this figured out and I'm going to play. Had he said anything else, we would all be sitting here thinking, oh boy, there's a big chance Gabe landis career is over. But in my brain right now, there's a small chance that Gabe Landiscock's career is over because nothing about what he said sounded like he was fibbing. And I've used this example before. My favorite thing that you told me, you went to Darren Helm and you asked him, after he returned from his second injury, you said, Darren, how's your body feeling? And after answering every question so fast, he took in your question. He absorbed it and he, <laughs> uh, you know, I'm, I'm feeling great. And you're <laughs> like, no, you're fucking not. You're so not. And he's still not. We haven't seen him in a few games and he's barely out there. And he's even when he's playing, you can tell he's like hanging by a thread, literally. Um, but Gabe Landeskog, the way he answered that question, didn't give you those kind of vibes. His body language didn't give you those kind of vibes. So all the avalanche have to do is just give that level of clarity. I don't know if Gabe Landeskog means he genuinely feels he's going to play another game in October, 2023 or October, 2026. But I'm confident he's going to play another NHL game just based off of that Val the situation is a little different. There isn't as much of a question mark. If this is something legal related, yeah, maybe it could end with him never playing in the NHL ever again, it could end with him playing in October or even playing next week or hell, even tomorrow on Sunday in game seven. But they're not giving us that clarity. And that's why you and I have been talking about this for 10 minutes, you know, without really sharing what some of our theories are. We all have them and and it's on the team to do that. And, and especially when it became public knowledge of what this police report is after responsible journalism did the responsible journalistic thing of ensuring that there was a name connected to the situation that we all heard about a week ago in Seattle. Now the speculation is starting because we have a confirmation that the police issue at the hotel that the Avalanche was staying at is connected to the name Valeri Nichushkin.
0: And again, you know, all of our personal theories can go whatever direction they want, but it feels like the, the more the team stays silent, the more likely people are to think that there's some sort of implication that they're involved in, or they're just simply trying to protect themselves. So simply making any sort of a statement would wipe that slate clean as well. Yeah.
1: As long as you make it smartly and, and there's a lot of smart people in that organization, but they're choosing not to do it. It's how they do business. Ryan Bolding would know that better than any of us because he's been there and he's worked it, but it's not the right thing to do. And, and, even with that, with that hovering over the team's head, it you know further proves that what they did in game six was just so good. It was so great because that was another thing that Nathan McKinnon and Miko Rantanen and Kale McCarr and Devon Taves, they might have more information. They're not gonna tell us, but it's another thing hovering over them on top of the fact that their captain hasn't played all year. This Nichushkin thing, the injuries, everything.
0: With that. I guess we look to game seven and try to approach it as optimistically as we can, right? As we end the podcast with negativity, maybe we do one more exercise. Everybody close your eyes. Envision (laughs) Kale McCarr ripping that puck from the blue line on the power play. It gets through. Hits Philip Grubauer in the chest. Bounce on the ice. Arturi Lekkinen there puts it top cheese.
1: And then Grubauer jumps him after because Lekkinen pisses him off. (laughs) Now I want you all to look in the mirror. Close your eyes. Now, with your eyes closed, look in the mirror. <laughs> keep the keep them closed. Nope. Can okay, you see your reflection? That's what? the Avalanche winning the Stanley Cup again, or that just Game Seven at least. That was deep. I'm um. Gonna...
0: Cool. Oh, high sports. Make sure sure to catch our post game pod from game seven inside of ball arena. Of course, Eric and I will be there as always. And uh, we'll try to bring you as much updates as we possibly can, as many updates as we possibly can from morning skate. So if you made it this far in the podcast, wait, wait,
1: wait, wait, what one update we can get from now, Darren Helm and Josh Manson are for sure not playing in game seven. So if you guys hear this on Saturday, just know that that will not change Sunday. Jared confirmed that today. Um, Another thing is I do want to address the end of our game five podcast. We were terrible and we promised we would be better. The avalanche were terrible. They promised they would be better. The avalanche were better. I think we were better today. I don't know. We'll let the listeners tell us, but we did it and now I'm going off the rail. So please end the show.
0: Yeah. There's quite a bit of a parallel, right. Of, of uh, our performance so far in the playoffs and the avalanche. Um, hopefully everybody brings their a game tomorrow for Sunday. Um, but yeah at least we had fun i hope at least people had some fun and maybe a couple giggles out of the end of that podcast but um yeah if you made it this far on the podcast bless your pretty little heart because you're probably listening to it on a saturday or sunday which i don't know why you would waste your time with us on your weekend but hey i appreciate it anyway don't say that let's make hockey for everyone close your eyes and we got you